All right, Pittsburgh, this is the Death Star here, and you are listening to MMA Fancast. Tune in. Oh, baby, what time is it? You're listening to MMA Fancast. Here are your hosts, Jim Mooney and Luke Payson. Welcome to the show. Today, I am joined by Brogan Andres. Brogan, welcome on. Thanks for having me. You are currently the number three ranked by Tapology Amateur um, Welterweight. And you have a 5-1 record in the amateur division, which is a very good, um, extensive amateur record. And you're on a three-fight win streak coming into this fight against Chase Boyd. So uh, talk about your uh, amateur MMA career so far, uh, particularly having such a good record. Um, Well, I've been competing for pretty much my whole life in some sort of combative sport, whether it's wrestling or judo. And, you know... you win some, you lose some, and you hope to come out on the right side of as many as you can. And luckily, throughout my amateur career, I've been coming out on the right side for the most part. So it's it's been a good career so far. Uh, I know Chase is going to be a tough – he's going to be a tough test, but that's why I wanted to fight him. Absolutely. Uh, you and Chase both have a very similar perspective. I was thinking, you know, Jim Mooney is the matchmaker for 247 Fighting Championships, and Ryan Middleton is the owner, and I think – they're really putting on good amateur. They also put on great pro um, and they've sent people to the UFC and Bellator, but amateur wise, I think oftentimes, and talk a little bit about this because you've been in the amateur ranks now and you've had a great record. What's it like uh, in, in some situations, good amateur fighters that can bring in a good ticket sale or sometimes given uh, less than competitive fights. And what's it like, wanting more competitive fights as an amateur versus trying to uh, pad a record, which happens quite a bit in the amateur ranks. Yeah, you do see that happen in the amateur ranks every now and then. Um, I I don't like to take a fight unless it makes sense. Um, I've been offered, I've been offered a few fights that, you know, the guy has 500 record or a losing record and why, why take that fight? It doesn't make a lot of sense for anyone involved, but uh, actually this fight, I think Chase even might've even matched this fight up for them because he, yeah, he messaged me like a week before, maybe a week before I got offered the fight. And he's like, Hey man, uh, just want to let you know, like, I think you're, I think you're high quality fighter. I'd like to get a fight with you sometime soon. Just when things open back up, just, keep me in mind and we'll see if we can make this happen. And then a week later I got offered the fight against him and I was like, Oh, sweet. <laughs> so uh, I know that was a nice competitive fight that I don't even know. He might've went to uh, Mooney and asked them for the fight or not. I don't know, but I was, I was happy that he was looking for a quality fight and I was happy to get a quality fight from him. Well, that, that is a great behind the scenes look. I think, all too often, particularly at the higher level, particularly when you think about selling pay-per-views at the UFC level, a lot of fighters sort of have to make it this personal grudge. And of course, some fighters do that better than others. But I think at the amateur or particularly regional level, even with pros, uh, you pointed out something that's really important, which is fighters looking out for each other, even though, yes, you're going to be fighting and clearly that means you're going to be trying to defeat him. He's going to be trying to defeat Yeah, you. knock but, each other's heads off. Right, but you still have to be on the same page, which is, hey, I want a good opponent. You're a good opponent. There doesn't have to be 
uh, some type of feud. It just is, hey, you've got a great record. I've got a good record. Let's figure this out, you know, and that's a good thing. Um, now, obviously, your loss was four fights ago because you're in a three-fight win streak, which is good. So you um, you were 2-0, and and then you felt a 2-1. and So kind of what happened there? What was it like? You know, going, you know, you're undefeated 2-0, and and then with that one loss, you're you're one fight away from going 500. So kind of, you know, I know this is yeah. back there, but just bring us through kind of that mindset of sort of what was going on back then. Well, that fight, it was it was a good learning experience for me. You know, I went out there, I had a good first round. I feel like I took the first round, um, then just went out there and he, he caught me. And, you know, that's going to happen in your fights. Um, after that, I was coaching wrestling at the time, so I had like a I had a little bit longer layoff than I wanted to have. And it, it was eating at me because like no one wants to sit on a loss. I felt like I was sitting on the loss for way too long. I was like, oh, I need to get back in the cage. I need to get back in the cage. I need to get that fight back. And um, I came back and I felt, I felt great. I felt better than I did before. I think it was a good learning experience for me. I don't think at any point in my mind, I was like, Oh, if I go 500, this is the end because at the end of the day, it's the amateur, it's the amateur circuit. So like, this is a chance to find out whether or not this is something you can do pro or not. And if I want 500, then I went out my next one. I lost that. I went out my next one, lost that and was two and four. You know what? Hang it up. It wasn't for me, but luckily I went out there and I've had this nice winning streak and I feel like I've been improving fight after fight after fight. So it was a good learning experience. Sometimes a loss is really good for you. And I felt like that one was pretty good for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things about um, amateur records is there's a a local Pittsburgh pro fighter whose amateur record was pretty uh, extensive. I think maybe, you know, a a, a dozen or more, but he was right around 500. Then he went pro and I think he's two and oh or three and oh now or something like that. But he always says, uh, records are for DJs because he's, it's <laughs> like a great that. line. It's a great line. I like that. But because he's saying that at the amateur level, he was taking fights that maybe he was, uh, maybe he was a little ambitious or maybe this didn't work. Not or that quite prepared work. for. Yeah, exactly. But there's, there's a lot to learn. One of the things that, um, that I saw by looking at your record is, and it's always hard to tell, uh, because of the rule set in amateurs, but it looks like you're fairly well-rounded. You've got some knockouts, you've got some submissions, different types of submissions, so in Ohio, what are the amateur rules? I know Pennsylvania really, really well, and they have three levels. We talk about it a lot. On yeah, you got, the, you got the like novice amateur. Novice, advanced, and pro. And, of course, in Virginia, you have none of that. And um, <laughs> every, once while, every once in a while we'll get a person that debuted in Virginia and nothing against Virginia, but it does not make sense to take a complete novice rookie MMA fighter and put him in this literally the same rule set as pros. You can yeah. actually look up the Virginia amateur rule set is the pro rule set, which doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. Not the same thing. Yeah, it doesn't no. make sense. You need so, training wheels. Right. So what was it like in Ohio and what has the process been? And have you had advanced amateur fights before? And what have they been like for you? So Ohio is very similar from to Pennsylvania and like the rules of their advanced rules. I'm sorry, my dog's trying to play with me right now. Oh, play away, <laughs> play away. So uh, you don't have any shin guards in your very first fights. You, there's no shin guards, but there's no head kicks, no elbows, no knees to the head. Um, difference is the all the leg locks, all the, like 
the ankle locks and stuff, they have to be straight. Yeah. In Ohio, I think Pennsylvania is a little bit different than that. In the Pennsylvania is different at your level, but not at novice. Novice, yeah. it's very similar. The only difference in novice between Pennsylvania that I'm hearing and Ohio is the fact that novice still has to have shin guards on. Shin guards, yeah. So I feel else, like sounds- it's like in between novice and advanced where like you don't need shin guards, but your ankle locks have to be straight. So right. Right. it's pretty much the same rules. So coming okay. over, the only difference is I know What's the ground like, and pound like? What's the ground and pound in Ohio like? Uh, no elbows. That's that's about it. No but elbows. Closed fists. You're allowed closed fists. Closed fists. They're allowed. From your first fight. From your first fight. Very, very first fight on. Yep. So it sounds like, generally speaking, that the um, rule set in Ohio from the beginning is more typical of the advanced in Pennsylvania, yeah. just because. The real difference in Pennsylvania, and this can be surprising that you don't have to worry about it because you're in advance, but every once in a while, and I, you know, I call fights, I get on the, I'm doing the video and stuff, broadcasting, and I try to let people know because every once in a while, a live audience, you'll hear people get a little restless because in the pure novice in Pennsylvania with no ground strikes, really, you can strike below the clavicle, but it really doesn't but, do a lot, right? Yeah, you can't you can't put someone away with just body shots. Right. I have seen it one time happen in Pennsylvania because it was knees, knees to the mm, chest, knees yeah. to the side. And, and you know what? I I, I, I wouldn't watch Logan Urban fight. I don't know if you know who that is. Um, but I went and watched him fight in Pennsylvania. And the first few fights, I was like, what is going why that headshot's wide open yeah, yeah. <laughs> just hammer fist his face right now and i know <laughs> well it's one of those things where it's kind of like with every safety precaution like you called them training wheels there also can be a a bad habit learned and and, and this is a shout out to my beloved mother she never let me use training wheels ever not one day <laughs> in my life ever and of course i fell a lot but she felt like the, and I, I and I would probably let my kids use training wheels. Don't get me wrong, but I have realized that with training wheels, sometimes kids ride the training wheel, so they're actually learning. You know, they're actually learning to kind of be on a lean. And I'm only yeah. bringing I'm only bringing this up because in in novice in Pennsylvania, you're going to laugh when I show you this. But a very typical novice position on the ground, if someone's on top, is to do this. Because, because then they're protecting so they protect this because you can eat some decent shots to the rib cage and, yeah. and here's the problem of protecting like this will not work when headshots are open right yeah not you at get all. one hammer fist right to oh the nose, now you're yeah now you're drinking blood the rest of the right, time, right. time you breathe and, in. and then the, and the rep would be like what is he doing if you're like this getting hit in the head you know so <laughs> so it does kind of, there are times where training wheels can develop bad habits, which is getting back to a great question I love to ask, which is your coaches. What are your coaches like? What styles? Because I think a big difference is, of course, it's good to use um, rule sets that are safer as long as you're training for the next level. So I would never allow somebody to train like this because you got to train like this. Even if in novice, they can hit you the face, protecting like this is much more of a professional way to do it or a higher level than way to do just it. protecting your flag on your here, yeah. So body. what are some of the what are some of the things you've kind of experienced in training that's more aimed towards knees to the face, even though you're not doing it yet, and head kicks, even though you're not doing it yet, and kind of how do you practice at a higher level despite performing a little safer? Well, one of my coaches is an active professional fighter, uh, Andrew Law. He um, 
he is one of my main coaches, one of my corners. So whenever he's going through camp or anything like that, we have to watch out for kicks to the head or knees to the face. So there is that. And they always tell you your number one job whenever you're training is to protect yourself, make sure you're not getting hit. So at all times, whether you're working clinch work or anything like that, if you get kneed in the face, yeah, your partner shouldn't need you in the face, but yeah, you should also be not getting kneed in the face because that that is going to happen. Um, yeah, so working with pro, that that does help uh, keep you just from falling into those bad habits of sure. dropping your hands when someone throws a kick or something like that. Sure, that's come up on here before that one of the interesting things about amateurs working with pros is pros need to practice their skill set. So they're going to throw things that are in their skill set, despite the fact that they're not quite yet in your skill set. And I had uh, two fighters, one amateur, one pro from the same gym come on. And the pro talked about how great it was to work with the amateur. The amateur's like, well, he only says that because he kicks me in the head and I can't kick him in his head <laughs> because when I try, he goes, well, no, that's not your rule set. You're so, not allowed to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they have a little bit of a banner. But one of the things that I've seen, particularly at the amateur early pro level, and you're going to probably have something to say about this, but I've seen it a lot is when, when people learn bad habits in a clinch, which is particularly the duck out, like the low yeah. face, low duck out, which is a terrible thing to do when somebody's pulling on your head, because when knees are allowed, that's, you're like, just going to, you're that, pulling your head right to it. So um, there's, there's a lot better ways to get out of clinch than the duck out, but they take a little bit more effort, a little bit more technique. So a lot of times in the amateur world, people just learn, oh, well, I'll put my head here and I can't get hit there. So what was it like for you? Uh, did you have like a wake up call that kind of taught you, hey, I want to practice at a higher level? Or have you always sort of been one to be aware of not taking um, not taking maybe easy shortcuts? Well, well, just with like that specific example, keeping your head up, like in the clinch and stuff like that. I did Greco wrestling and if just wrestling in general, if you put your head down, yeah. one of your just getting snapped right down to the ground right away. Absolutely right away. So that, and then my coach being a judo guy and then Muay Thai guy second after that, that Muay Thai pummel, whenever you're in the clinch, you're not putting your head down to get out of that. So like the pummeling that we learned for getting out of getting out of the clinch work is more Muay Thai style where you're keeping your head up and not dropping your head down to get need. And that paired with my natural just wrestling of you want to, keep your head up because where your head goes your body follows it just it has helped me in that specific case of not falling into the laziness of dropping your head and that maybe that like grind of wrestling that is like you can't get lazy and wrestling at any moment at any point because you are just gonna get snapped down or thrown or taken down so that has helped try to not cut the corners because if you do start cutting the corners then that's when you get into trouble absolutely well and you bring up some of the ways that mixed martial arts, you can learn to keep your head safe in wrestling. You can learn to keep your head safe in boxing. You can learn to keep your head safe in Muay Thai. It all kind of depends on what on what style you're learning. Um, I've seen obviously like Wonder Boy or some of the karate or Taekwondo, they tend to not keep their head as safe as where you'd think in MMA goes. But obviously Stephen Wonderboy Thompson's had a great career. Although yeah, he, he has. does a lot of things with his head that an MMA guy is like, what are you doing? But he also has the reflexes for it. He's also trained over a hundred uh, uh, karate fights that way. And so, you you know, it depends. Every style's 
uh, different. Um, but when it comes to when it comes to the way you'd prefer to finish, and obviously we're not talking techniques, we're more talking, do you find more fun in finishing somebody with a, a submission? Because it's kind of like you, you see something there and it's like a puzzle and you grab it and you make it work. Or do you, or do you like the more raw emotion of a TKO or a KO? Because I've had people go either way on that because one's more cerebral, one's more, um, I guess, emotional. Yeah. Uh, I can see both both sides of that. Um, I get frustrated sometimes whenever I'm having a fight and I feel like I'm pulling everything together. And then there's been two fights I can think of where like I got the submission, everything was going my way, and then I get the submission. I'm like, oh, that's disappointing because like I one either feel like they just gave the submission up, or right. two I just feel like it just like it came too easily. I'm like, oh, I just had so much more stuff I wanted to work. So some. Sometimes that submission is like almost like lackluster, almost right. like a, but I haven't gotten a straight cold knockout yet. That's something I'm looking forward to. Um, so I, I don't know what my favorite type of finish is yet because I haven't gotcha. gotten them all yet, but I would, I would like to feel what a just knocking someone cold out would be like. Sure. Now, just a warning that comes from watching a ton of MMA fights. And you probably already know this, that, the, the, and I will call him a legend, although the end of his career wasn't the best, but be careful because Roy Nelson went from <laughs> a high level, seriously, went from a high level black belt jiu-jitsu guy in the heavyweight division, which like Verdum and others, that's a that's a big deal to be that good. And then he found out that his right hand worked, which it did. Oh, yeah. But he lost probably five fights, easy maybe five, could have been more than five fights because he was chasing that knockout even when if he had gone a different direction, there were some fights where he probably would have easily won. Now the tight fights, maybe not, but some of the other fights he probably could have won. So I, I think it'd be great if you could get that experience, but it, yeah, it I'm not be- going to, I'm not going to pass up any submit. I'm not gonna be like, Oh, I got this, I got this choke in, or I got this arm bar. I'm like, nah, I want to, I want to get a knockout. No, not a, not a chance. Anytime I got a submission in, yeah. I'm, I'm sinking that in for the finish. Um, sure. But you'll, it, you'll get you'll get the opportunity to knock somebody yeah, out. Yeah, it'll same be there. Way, it's the same way like wrestling in reverse, like Chuck Liddell used, you know, to be able to uh, knock people out more. Yeah, your grappling stand. opens up your striking. Your striking opens up your grappling. That's Absolutely. the mixed martial arts aspect. Yeah, you, you already know that. Absolutely. In, in fact, that's one of the problems in mixed martial arts because it's mixed martial arts. If your game plan has to have a certain dynamic. It's got to be on the ground. It's got to be on the feet. Now, obviously that can work for a while, but at some point it's like, I don't know, it's like trying to run um, without everything working together. You know, it's just one of those things where um, it can work really well to have a game plan, but sometimes it's a fight. And so every once in a while you see Yeah, it's it's always going to be a fight. Right now for me, right now for me, it's just, I am a grappler first. So those windows of opportunities for like a takedown or the windows of opportunities for a submission, I can see that wind, like I need a smaller window and it doesn't have to be there as long. Whereas like the windows of opportunity for striking, I, I'm not as good of a striker. So I'm grappler first. So those, I don't see those windows as quickly. I don't see that stuff as quickly. So even if that opportunity presents itself, even if I do capitalize on it, I'm not going to capitalize on it as often or as quickly or as efficiently as I am grappling. And until, until that sort of starts to even out, 
I might, I might not get that knockout, but until we get there. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And that, that's the thing in an MMA fight is you have to be able to fight the fight that you need to fight at the time you're fighting it. So there's a lot of times because I have the opportunity, I, I think it'll look a little bit different these days with COVID, but previously for 247, I'd be the guy that actually would go in and interview the fighter that won right after the fight. And there's a lot of times where even there, the person's still processing what happened because we were watching it from the outside, but as a fighter, you're fighting it live. So what's it like sometimes watching your fights or watching one of your um, teammates fight and thinking like, well, why aren't they seeing what I'm seeing? And how is that different between being live and then watching it externally? Whenever my, whenever I'm rewatching my fights, there's so many times I'm like, Oh, you missed that. You missed that. You missed that. You missed that. There's so many opportunities. And I'm like, Oh God, why didn't you, why didn't you capitalize on that? But those are the learning points that you take and you go back to the gym and you train and train and train and sharpen your tools. Whenever I'm watching my teammates fight, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm emotional. I'm up there. I'm yelling. I'm screaming my head off. I got a headache after the first round because I'm just like, do this, do that. Ah, Let's go. So I understand why they'll miss stuff, why a teammate would miss something. I, because I miss a thousand things in every fight, you know, you miss, you miss all sorts of stuff, but I, I completely understand why my teammates would miss anything because I miss things too. And it's just, it is emotional whenever my teammates fight. I'm I'm a hundred percent invested into that. I think it is different when you know a fighter and like, if you oh, yeah. train with a fighter, obviously part of MMA or part of football, part of any uh, sport is you get invested in rooting for your person. But I think when you've trained with a fighter, you actually know the skills they have. Yeah. So that, you're like, that, yeah. you can do this. Why are you yeah. not doing, why are you not doing this? You have a nice jab. Why are you not? Every time he right. throws his jab, slip and jab, you know, like, why aren't well, you doing that? And that actually brings up coaching. What, you know, do you coach like maybe beginners in your gym or do you have you cornered people? What's it like? Because I think a lot of time a good corner is somebody that can bring that up in a very calm way like you just did. Hey, you got a good jab. Use it. Hey, you're good at doing this and you're not doing it or you are doing it. Keep it going because a lot of times corners and maybe it can be good. But a lot of times, even at the UFC level, you'll hear corners that say like, beat their butt or fight harder. Those yeah. are things that somebody can do. No, you know it does, I mean? yeah. Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I haven't, I haven't had the opportunity to coach okay. corner anyone in a fight. I did coach high school wrestling and okay. it is, it is a lot more helpful whenever you're telling, whenever you're telling the person that you're coaching, like, Hey, do they're doing this when they do this, do this. Like yeah. he's stepping heavy on his lead foot. When he does that, take a single leg or giving them, direct advice is way more helpful as a coach i was a lot more logical and like methodical about my instructions as a fan whenever i'm watching my buddies fight it's all no it's it's all all just emotion and screaming and yeah punch me in the face yeah yeah Yeah, there's nothing quite like that advice well and that that's part of the energy that makes fighting or even wrestling listen if I'm in a wrestling, I have one of my godsons is a wrestler. And if, if I go to his matches, I'm just screaming the whole time, pin him, pin him, yeah, pin him. on his back. Know, what does that do? You know, Nothing. like, but it, it, do it, anything. But it's part of the excitement yeah. as opposed to breaking it down. It sounds like whenever you get the opportunity to corner 
or, you know, or be around MMA as more of a coach. It sounds like you already have the technique from wrestling to point out like what they actually need to do or how they counter as opposed to sort of just general stuff. That's not. As- yeah. You're just saying like punch them more. You're not throwing enough punches or yeah. why aren't you taking them down? Okay. Why aren't you taking them down? Because you're not setting it up. You know, you gotta, you, you gotta give step by step. It's not just do this. Yeah. It's how you do this. What's it, what's it like for you in your corner? How's the communication because I think in fighting, there are times where corners in that 35 seconds can actually make a big difference. And sometimes you'll see at the higher level corners kind of have a more just relaxed, just, you know, um, just kind of let them do it. So what's your relationship like with your corners and how does that go for you? I've been doing judo with Andrew, one of my corners, since I was about six years old. And then Ben, my other corner, um, shoot, he maybe whenever I was 13 years old, he started, he joined maybe a little younger than that. So I've known both of them for a long time. Um, luckily for me, Andrew's a real quiet talker, real, real soft, but his voice carries for me for some reason. I can, anywhere I am in the cage, he can be talking to me, Hey, Brogan, you need to do this. And just real calm and just step-by-step walks me through and I can hear it. His voice just carries through the crowd. His and my dad's also, but that's from my dad just cheering for me from whenever I was a little kid and everything with wrestling and whatnot. Um, so that that's nice that like I can just hear him. And then whenever he does come in the cage, he is he's here's your water. OK, here's he gets a little bit more, a little bit more energetic when he's in the cage, but it's not too much. He, he calms me down, gets my breathing back in check. And hey, here's what we're doing. And sometimes I can hear that advice sometimes in the that minute and a half or whatever it is i'm you know just focus on staring that other guy down or you know you're you're like oh god where's that water at (laughs) whatever it is you know sometimes sometimes your head's a little bit out of it but usually i you know he calms me down gets my breathing in check and then gets me revved up for the next round i'm gonna make a reference i'm gonna make a reference that's good it's always nice when you can have interaction with your with your corners um and I, I've actually had, I had a, a situation where a fighter told me to not tell them if I felt like they lost the round. And I was like, well, what do you mean? Like, I'm going to, I'm not going to say, need like, to you know. suck, give up, but I'm going to like, I feel like part of the corners because we've all heard Ronda Rousey's corner, the time that she was on the way to getting destroyed by Holly Hum. Oh, you're winning this. There, there was no part of that fight she was winning. And yeah. so I think there's times corners saying plainly, that was a rough, that was a rough round. That wasn't your round. Yeah. Here's what you know. Here's how to get it back on track, as opposed to being a corner that's probably too much of just a fan. Um, but but you know, every once in a while, fighters have different protocols. Some fighters want to be told they're losing, even if they're winning, so they feel like they so they're have like, ah, to. I gotta go. Yeah, some fighters they don't deal with the feedback, so if they feel like they're losing, and then you point it out to them, they they take that personally. So you never, you can never really. Uh, no, everybody's different. So that's good. Uh, that's good feedback. That's good advice that, that you have a good interaction with your, uh, with your coach. What led you to start training judo at uh, five years old or six years old? I, I'm curious because you threw that out there. Um, just they offered it at the YMCA. My brother had been doing it. I was the youngest of four. Um, I was a little snot-nosed brat of a kid, you know. So I had to defend myself from my, from my siblings because, you know, I deserved every butt whooping that they gave me. Um, so I was six years old. Just I, I thought it was fun. 
I enjoyed I enjoyed wrestling and judo is a lot like wrestling. Not exactly the same, but they're similar. There's just another place to just go out there and rough house. Absolutely. It's also good that you got your mind at a young age, learning different skills in different types of martial arts, because that's what mixed martial arts really does. It brings that it brings that all together as far as stuff. Wrestling wise, when you transitioned to MMA, uh, what was it like learning wall defense, cutting off walls, you know, uh, the, the different ways to to defend off the walls? What was that like? Cage or wall? Either one's fine. Yeah. What was it like? Because in wrestling, there's actually moves where I'm sure you know where somebody will kind of hop out of bounds to to avoid a takedown. Avoid a takedown. Yeah. So what was what was it like learning? Because the wall or the cage is actually a big part of a wrestling um, of a wrestling's transition to MMA. Yeah, it's a it's a friend and foe. Sometimes sometimes it's nice because they can't run away anymore from a takedown. Right. Sometimes it's not so nice because if they got good hip position on there. They get a nice solid base. They can use that cage to help keep themselves from getting taken down. So it it's a friend and foe. Um, obviously, if you can get your take down in the middle of the cage, that's the absolute best because then they can't use the cage to stand back up. And that that's most ideal situation. But you've watched MMA fights. Most of the takedowns happen against yeah. the cage because they can't run away anymore. And you're in that clinch. Um, there is that dirty boxing aspect that gets implemented in whenever you do go for, you start going for those takedowns. You're like, Hey, I'm, I need to take down, pin them up to this cage. Then you gotta be throwing knees. You gotta be throwing punches. They're going to be throwing knees. They're going to be throwing punches. You know, there's that dirty, there's that dirty boxing aspect, which is, that's actually what we ended up practice today working on was takedowns on takedowns on the cage, defending takedowns on the cage, a little dirty boxing against the cage and uh cutting cutting guy off keeping him against cage and circling out if they are trying to cut you against the cage absolutely well thanks for pointing out stuff on the cage or the wall because it does make a big difference and uh, we're going back several years now but travis brown landing those elbows which of course are not legal in amateur but i think that they're probably were used before but i think that also pointed out that there's a danger to a wrestler stalling kind of in that failed takedown pinning up against the cage pinning, yeah pinning up against the cage with your head right on somebody's hip because the hip bone actually gives no space there's no space for the head to kind of so then move. you're just getting right, smacked right, right against what, it yeah that's what you've seen in a couple of those fights so i think that's what's exciting about mma is that it's constantly changing like there's there's somebody that's going to learn a different way to implement something uh, just because you're you're in that fight. Let's get to predictions or mindsets coming in to this fight. Uh, what are you kind of expecting? What are you looking to do? Uh, what, what do you have going on? Obviously, you and Chase are both very high-ranked amateurs. You have uh, aspirations of pro, aspirations of figuring out what, what your career or what your skill set's going to look like. So let's talk about the fight itself. Uh, I know Chase likes to come in with – he's got some great pressure. Uh, He's got a lot of confidence and swagger. Obviously, best way to be a little bit confidence and swagger is playing a little seed of doubt early in the fight. So I need to I need to meet that pressure that he's going to be coming with, with the same amount of pressure right off the rip. Hopefully, some more pressure right off the rip. And uh, you know, starting off early, starting off hot is going to be real big for this fight. Um, I I hope 
I hope for a finish, but you know, that's what everyone hopes for. I got no predictions for the fight. I'm just going to go out there and do my absolute best and uh, leave it all out there and see, see how it works. Well, that makes sense. I can't wait to see you in action. Um, thanks so much for coming on the show. Who thanks are for having your, me. Who are your shout outs? Thank yous, coaches, sponsors, gyms, whatever you want to say. I never want to cut off a fighter before they say that because there's a lot that goes in behind you besides just you walking into a cage. There is a lot that goes in behind me. You know, everyone at Route 250 Martial Arts uh, has done a great job. I know it's it's hard with COVID and everything. It's been it's been a weird time for everyone, but my teammates, everyone has been there for me, helping me train, giving me a lot of great work. Um, ben White, Andrew Law, they've been great coaches for me and get me prepared for this fight. I feel I feel like I'm in great shape. Uh, we had our CrossFit guy, Joel, Joel was uh, putting together some workouts for me to get me in shape, get me, my conditioning and my strength and training up for this fight. You know, just the whole Route 250 health and performance, everyone there has been absolutely wonderful in helping prepare for this fight. Um, I'm just ready. I'm excited for this fight on 28th. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Can't wait to see you in action. Best wishes. Thank you for having me.